you bitch! where we watched all the Alien franchise films in order, contextualise them, and critique them. I'm Simon Bowie, and joining me for this final episode of the Xenopod, where we're going to wrap things up, is, as always, my co-host, Jim Ross. Hello. Hi, Jim. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I know. It sounds a bit funny, because we're recording these ahead of time, but yes, indeed, <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> but yeah, this is coming out uh, in that lull between Christmas and New Year, as a as a special treat for for listeners, it's not we're not reviewing the official Aliens Christmas film, which is Prometheus, or the unofficial Alien Christmas film, which is Alien vs Predator Requiem. Although actually, looking at the looking at the release date of this, uh, when this comes out, Happy Birthday to me the day after this comes out. So there you go. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> Merry Christmas, Happy Birthday. That that lull, what a celebration, the lull between Christmas and New Year, Jim otherwise known as Jim's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> The gym period. Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah today exactly. we're going to wrap up. Uh, we're going to offer some thoughts on the franchise as a whole, look at some of the themes that we've discussed over this podcast, share our rankings of the franchise, and sort of look towards future Alien fr- franchise projects or projects that never got off the ground for one reason or another. Before we get started, I'll say that this podcast was recorded during the 2023 SAG-AFTRA strike, and without the labour of the actors currently on strike, the film being covered here, covered here wouldn't exist. And I really, really hope by the time that this comes out, <laughs> that, that strike is yeah. done with. Hopefully it'll be resolved in the middle by of the time it, it comes God out. help us if it's still going on when this is actually published. <laughs> That, that, I can't see the studios wanting to extend this into Oscar season. I think that'll be the big, you know breaking point for the studios finally Oscar season is good for something (laughs) good for labour relations unexpectedly (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, so I I went back to listen to our first episode where we did a little intro episode and what we wanted to do with this podcast setting out our stall as it were I wanted to ensure that we met our aims and objectives for this project so we talked a lot about treating the Alien franchise as a continuous text and looking at it as one media text, which I think we tried to do, but we had trouble because the franchise itself is so discontinuous. Mm. Different directors, different uh, historical periods of production. A couple of recurrent themes came up in over the podcast, like what you termed the identity crisis a term that really stuck for us as as we went through these films where they do have a crisis about what they want to be Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that really starts in aliens right like right almost at the beginning of the franchise because it's so different from alien yeah because because the funny thing is i mean you're right it does start right from the off and i think it's one of the things that's praised and i think we maybe even said in the episode one of the most praised things about aliens is the fact that it takes this blueprint the alien set down and it basically takes it in a related but very different direction right and that's how it kind of makes itself its own 
its own beast, and I think probably what made that film so successful. I think the funny thing is, like other films in this series, then tried to do it to varying degrees of success. Um, <laughs> So, like, it really does start from the off. I think one of the other difficulties in taking it as a continuous text is what direction you actually take that from, right? Because you can do it as, um, you can do it based on characters, right? In which case, you've kind of got the four films that centre around uh, Ellen Ripley. You've got Prometheus and Covenant together because they're basically kind of like, you know, one's a direct sequel to the other. And then the offshoot kind of Alien versus Predator affair. So you could do it that way. You could do it chronologically, right? So you could start off with, um, you know, Prometheus. Well, I mean, suppose technically you'd have to start off with Alien versus Predator and Requiem, at which point you might even just give up <laughs> after that. But then, you know, that, and then you'd have Prometheus and Covenant, and then you'd have, um, you know, the series based on Ripley, or, you know, like, I think that's also part of the issue here. It is a very convoluted... It is a very convoluted set of films in terms of what angle you want to take them from. I think the angle we've gotten with the release order, I think that is the way to do it because I think that kind of best reflects the times in which each of these were made as well. But you yeah. know, you could argue it for other other ways to do it. So that's that's another thing we've discussed this this kind of multimedia versus transmedia franchise and how that has developed with kind of blockbuster paradigms. So there's different roots into the franchise as we've discussed through this podcast and kind of subjective roots like uh, we talked about Rudiger Hines's articles on the alien universe and these meta universes meta cinematic universes mm. and yeah these different roots in which you've just uh, talked about but they also reflect these kind of shifting paradigms of Hollywood blockbuster entertainment so we mentioned in one podcast that uh, Alien comes out during a period where Kramer versus Kramer is at the top of the yeah. uh, box office charts, which is just feels inconceivable today. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it it really takes us from the kind of dying days, I suppose, of New Hollywood through this kind of 80s blockbuster era, a kind of 90s cheaper blockbuster era, and then to the kind of huge productions, mm -hmm. your MCUs and your Star Warses. That we uh, that we have today, yeah, and it's hard to separate it out, right? Because I mean, like several of the films, particularly the first two Alien Aliens that we've spoken about, they're quite you know, I mean, it's a big, well-known franchise, and those two films in particular, they're quite influential films, right? So there's a little bit of a chicken and egg scenario here, but like Alien feels like a film from the 1970s, right? It has the pacing and the kind of just yeah. feel of a 70s film same for aliens right in terms of like you know it, it sits quite nicely alongside kind of this 80s action film template that kind of developed albeit it's got its own ideas and you know i think it's a bit more intelligent than than some of those but it's it's very comfortably at home in that and then on the less kind of you know films that didn't fare quite so well from a kind of critical perspective when we were talking about them you know likes of alien resurrection it feels like a very late 90s film right you know that it's it um, very late 90s yeah. we, we talked about the kind of casual teenage boy misogyny of that film mm. and the kind of teenage uh, aspect of of a lot of the script decisions yeah you know so like and as i say there's there's a bit of a chicken and egg thing here like you know are the, are the films reflecting the time which they've made or are they influential in what follows and i think for the first couple, I think there's 
you know, I mean, Alien's a tough one because it came right at the end of the 70s, right? But I think still around that time, it probably had an influence. I think Aliens, despite, you know, it's a little bit of both. I think for something like Resurrection, it's more it's reflecting the time it was made in. I don't think Alien Resurrection is a particularly influential film in that respect. But, um, no. But yeah, it, it, it's it, it's just interesting to look at, and I think like part another thing about taking these things as a continual text is the sheer length of time that this spans. I mean, if you think about the original Star Wars films, that's still like you know what less than a decade. You know, I mean, from like the, you know the from uh, yeah. you know from Star Wars as it was called before it was retitled the New Hope through to um, Return of the Jedi, it's not a particularly long period of time. Whereas if you look at even just Alien through to Alien Resurrection, we're talking about, so that was 97, 79, you know, we're talking about, like, what, 28 years? You know, like, Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an enormous period of time, and we're talking about maintaining the lead character also in in that case across that time, long before, you know, legacy sequels were even really kind of a thing that we spoke about. There is a kind of interesting consistency in the films. I mean, you've just spoken about how they have different tones, and I, I... I agree. But there is a kind of consistency that you get in going from Alien to uh, Alien Covenant that you don't see in, say, Mission Impossible, which mm-hmm. you go back to the, the first one and it feels so 1996. Oh, yeah. It, it almost feels entirely different from, from where it's ended up. There's been a massive shift. And, of course, you see shifts in the Alien franchise, like the Alien vs. Predator films very feel very different. And maybe what I'm talking about here is simply because Ridley Scott came back and did the last two. So there's this kind of bookending of uh, tone and production design and I mean, vision. I mean, to do the Mission Impossible comparison, like, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I think Mission Impossible is another series of films where you could actually do something like this, but I don't think... I don't think it would be as interesting to look at, right, because of the, the focus of those films. But... Mm-hmm. In terms of kind of consistency of tone, I think Mission Possible has its own phases, right? And I think basically once you hit, let's say, Mission Possible five onwards, right? I I think they're pretty, you know, they're pretty consistent. They're pretty consistent, after that right? I, but I think prior to that, it's a, the way it kind of feels a little bit similar to the Alien series is in bringing different directors to it, right? I mean, like the shift from yeah. the shift from De Palma to John Woo, right, from one it to two. It feels very stark. That feels very stark, almost in the way that the shift from Ridley Scott's horror film to James Cameron's action film feels with the first two, right? So I think I think you're yeah. right in the sense that it's it's Ridley Scott came back to it, right? And I think that's what I'm what I'm what I'm yeah, thinking of. Like it, um, you know, whereas, because Mission Impossible yeah. vacillates until it finds a groove. Alien almost immediately finds a groove and then goes off it. Yeah to get back into that groove, you know, 30 years later or whatever, 40 years later. But even then, even then it's not 100% consistent because I think Ridley Scott comes back to it and that brings a certain tone and approach that it, that is what makes it feel similar. But he comes back to it with much kind of grander scale ideas, right? I mean, like or at least he does mm-hmm. with Prometheus and then they immediately get reined back in to an extent with, uh, with Covenant. Too. Um, but it's interesting even within that it kind of it kind of makes you think about where he would have gone with it if he'd actually stuck with the immediate sequels i would be interested to see where like i feel like almost if you didn't have that disconnect maybe you would have ended up with something a bit more coherent but Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah 
we've watched all the Alien franchise films, and we've both done rankings for uh, the Alien franchise films. Now, I was aware when we were doing this that more than likely Alien and Aliens are going to be top. We're not, you know, we're not so out there that we're, we're, we're saying anything is better than Alien or Aliens. But there is some interesting variation, perhaps, in, in, in our rankings. So, do you want to go first? Yep, sure. I'll fire away. As anybody who knows me, I'm 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 not big on ranking, so this is done under mild duress. <laughs> but I think uh, you, you know, I I think um, you ask me on a different day, you might get a slightly different ranking here. But I think this I think this kind mm-hmm. of broadly reflects, like especially having watched everything another time and like reflecting on what they were trying to do. Um, I think you know I think I'll probably go with this. So. Uh, number one is not really any surprise, Alien, right? I think we both agreed that, like, for, especially for what that film's trying to do, it's essentially perfect, right? Um, so yeah. that's that's right up there. I did actually deliberate a little bit about Position 2 because I did end up with slightly mixed feelings about Aliens when we then spoke about it, but I think that's more to do with um, the influence of the film itself and, like, what effect it had rather than the actual text of the film. So Aliens, yeah. unsurprisingly, is in second place. I think when it, when push comes to shove, that's where it goes. I think you could make a case for other films going above it, um, but I think that would be more, you know, slight cynicism about what people learnt from Aliens rather than the film itself. I, I had the same kind of vacillation. Like, we discussed it in the episode. I, I don't like what Aliens does to the franchise and where it takes it, but... It is a well-structured and well-made film. Yeah. And it's, you know, above many of the others that we'll, we'll go on to rank. Yeah, within the confines of the film itself, it's excellent, right? It's when it's when it goes exactly. beyond that, it starts to maybe fall apart a bit. Um, in third position, I have actually put Alien 3. There's a lot about that film I like. Um, I like the grimy murkiness of it, and I think it also shows how you can do that and make it look make it look good, right? Because I think anybody who watches that film and complains about, like, a very flat, samey palette should then go on to watch Alien vs. Predator Requiem and realise that, you know, like, you know, <laughs> there's a lot worse worse out there and yeah, this is this actually is pretty well be. done, right? You know, and I keep thinking about the image of, you know, one of the prisoners against the rotating fan and the lighting. There. Like, I, I think this is, I think this isn't a great looking film. It has a lot of problems. Um... But I think it kind of holds itself together uh, well enough and it has a lot going for it. I think I also quite like the fact that if you wanted to, you could take those three films and make them a nice little self-contained trilogy and just leave it at that, right? The the, the vagaries of like Hollywood and making money and all yeah. the rest of it mean that we've got the other five films on this list, but I quite like the fact that you could make that a little sort of self-contained thing. So for me, for what Alien 3 was trying to do... I like it a lot, and I think it's amazing it pulls off as well as it does, given like some of the problems with it. But yeah, I'm gonna put Alien. Mm-hmm. Th- I'm gonna put Alien Three in third. I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I think there's a really nice little self-contained trilogy in Alien, Aliens, and Alien Three, with a nice symmetry to it. Yeah, that we don't stick with because they want to make money. No, no. Now the, the, after this, this is when it starts to get so like quite difficult in my view to. To, to rank them right so as I say I think there's a, there's a few that aren't hills I'll die on but fourth I've I've put so I'll do fourth four and five together because they essentially come to like you know they send they come they, as a pair. yeah they come as a pair essentially I have put Covenant above Prometheus um, for a few reasons I think Covenant works better as a film 
on its own terms and in and of itself. I don't know if it really works as a sequel to Prometheus, um, but it does enough interesting stuff. And we spoke about this on the last episode. A lot of it comes through kind of um, Fassbender's character and, and David and, you know, what, what it's trying to say through him. And I found the actual kind of scenes and action and horror of that effective enough that I, I got a lot out of that and I thought it was a really interesting film. Ultimately, what it comes down to is I was kind of less annoyed by it than Prometheus. Like, I mean, even rewatching Prometheus, they bo- both films suffer from the supposedly smart characters doing dumb things trope. I think Covenant yeah. suffers from it a lot less than Prometheus. Um, you know, I didn't find myself in Covenant kind of actively kind of going, what in God's name are you doing at the screen <laughs> in the way that I did in Prometheus? Um, the reason both sit so high is because I think they look great and, you know, Ridley Scott is a fantastic director. He's an excellent builder of worlds. We've seen that with Blade Runner. We've seen that with Alien. And I think he really does good work here. Um, these films have a lot of problems that we discuss on the the episodes, but... They are entertaining films. I think they have interesting ideas. Indeed. And what it comes down to is I think Covenant executes them a little bit better than Prometheus. Um, yeah. After that, we've got... I've got Alien Resurrection. Uh, now, this is where... The, the Alien Resurrection is not a film I enjoyed. I think I found it quite silly, albeit it had its good moments uh, that we discussed on the episode. It has... Because I think it has some more interesting imagery... That's why it sneaks in ahead of Alien vs. Predator, right? What I will say about Alien vs. Predator, which is what I've got in number seven, I think Alien vs. Predator does what Alien vs. Predator wants to do a little bit better than what Alien Resurrection wants to do. But I think it's ultimately just a less interesting film, right? I don't think Resurrection necessarily executes its ideas amazingly well. But it does have some nice imagery, like we spoke about, kind of like some of the scenes are kind of like, you know, Ripley kind of like in the alien nest. I think it does some interesting uh, things oh, yeah. with the the hybrid alien human creature. Which the it, newborn. Yeah, the, the newborn, that's it, that's what they're called. It. You know, which is, it like, it, it gets a visceral reaction from you. This thing is, like, it looks horrible, right? And I think that's that's a sign of, like, really quite good production work. So I think that's what sneaks it above it for me. I think Alien vs. Predator, as an Alien vs. Predator film, you know, with all the logical holes that it potentially introduces, <laughs> I still think it achieves what it wants to better in Resurrection, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately Resurrection is just a more interesting film. I think anybody who listened to the episode will not be particularly surprised that Alien vs. Predator Requiem finds itself at the bottom here. Um, like, we spoke about its potential in the first ten minutes, which then just go, you know, go out the window into the blackness of that film. Immediately, it falls off a cliff. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, and I've thought about it even more since we recorded it. I really do stand by what we said in that episode about that, that film having a n- really nasty, regressive edge to it. Um, oh, absolutely! Which is not in the other, which is not in any of the other films, um, and I think for that reason, beyond the fact that I don't think it's a particularly great film, I think it just stands so at odds with everything else that has been kind of thematically dealt with in this that it's it's a really odd film. It's a really yeah. odd film, like on its own terms and within its own boundaries i don't think it's that good but within the wider discussion of this franchise it's also a really odd film to sit in this it's really it's 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 a strange one 
Yeah, it, it, it almost doesn't sit with the other films at all. I mean, we talk about these films as a continuous text, and this is a major discontinuity. Yeah. Because it doesn't even get the themes of the other films, which, you know, Alien starts with this kind of anti-capitalism. The, the monster is the corporation. The monster represents kind of the rapacious uh, greed of capitalism. And the franchise continues to develop that in as much as it can as a franchise itself, as a as a product of a capitalist, you know, studio system. But it does, you know, continue to pay lip service to this theme at least. But Requiem just doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think the main thing for me with that, like, to is if you look at basically any other film on this list, with the exception of Alien vs Predator, but you know, I think you could you could make a case there. But if you look at any of the other films on this list, anything that shows up that is like a xenomorph or xenomorph like, right? So I include kind of you know protomorphs and zeomorphs and you know the various other things that aren't yeah, technically the same creature, right? But you know, are clearly from the same kind of strand. They're always kind of like in some way. I mean, there is the the creature horror and body horror stuff kicking around, but they are in all in all senses they they are metaphorical for something else, right? They are representing something else. I think Alien yes. versus Predator Requiem is the first one where they're really not, right? They are just <laughs> they are you know it's they're just monsters. Yeah, exactly, right? And like you know, it's a fantastic creature design. So can you do that with it? Yeah, of course you can. Is it a less interesting film? Absolutely. And then when you put it in a film which is as badly made as Alien vs. Predator Requiem, that's how you end up at the bottom of this list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there's some slight but maybe significant differences in our rankings. First, I have Alien. I, I, like you said, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's perfect uh, for what it does. And it tackles some of the weightier anti-capitalist themes better than any of the other films. Next is Aliens, which uh, I just discussed. I have a problem with in the direction it takes the franchise, but is a well-crafted and entertaining film that works uh, on its own merits. So next, I have Alien Covenant. Just re-watching it, as I discussed in the episode, I was so surprised to find how well it worked for me. <laughs> I got me on re- re- it. Read I- that review you wrote at the time of it. This is this is the major revelation it's of this this podcast, to be honest. Absolutely it's, wild. Yeah. I, I didn't expect it at all. But I really liked how it developed its themes and characters. And, um, you know, I may not appreciate what it does in terms of explaining the Xenomorph, but I think as a film, it works better than a lot of the other uh, films we've discussed. Next, I have Alien 3, because I, I just... I think the studio interference really hobbles it. Maybe if we'd been watching the assembly cut, maybe that would be third for me, because I seem to recall that holding up a little better, having a little more time to breathe. But the theatrical release, it, it's too fragmented for me to really work I, I like the darkness of it i like the nihilism but i also like how alien coven gets nihilistic particularly at the end you know with the entire colony um under threat from david and the uh, and his proto xenomorphs so yeah much of a muchness i i think alien covenant edges it for me I think the funny thing is like i mean i have i have the i mean obviously in my ranking these two are the other way around i i, I could live with like Alien Covenant being above Alien, I, I think this is where it starts to get kind of like tough because I I don't think Alien 
Alien Covenant has its issues, right? We discussed them. Alien 3, I find, sits a little bit better within my conception, anyway, of what the Alien series is. But at the same time, just from a filmmaking standpoint, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Alien Covenant doesn't have anything as inelegant as that kind of, you know, ridiculous maze chase scene that you have in Alien 3, right? That's what stuck with me. Yeah. That, that, the incoherence of that scene, which is kind of, you know, the main action scene of the film, and it's just filmed so incoherently, uh, it do- really doesn't work. The compositing on mm-hmm. the Xenomorph puppet doesn't look convincing, doesn't hold up. So, so yeah, I mean, I can, I can, I can you know, I'm, I'm not looking at this going, my God, Simon, are you high? You know, like, I, I, I can I can definitely see it. I think for me, there's something about Alien 3 and its, its look and its sort of, like, slight griminess and, you know, also, I mean, the, the grand irony is, actually, if you ever talk about the Alien franchise, I actually argue Alien 3 is the film that has the most iconic image from the series in it, and it's when the xenomorph kind of, like, really goes up to... Ripley's face, and she's like mm-hmm. grimacing and like squinting her eyes and turning away from it. It's just like I find quite funny. Like generally, one of the most maligned <laughs> films in the series is the one which has actually given it its one of its most iconic images. But um, yeah, I, I can I can live it. I can live a Covenant being above Alien Three. I think um, I would. As I say, I've put Alien Three above it. But yeah, I can I can see why. I think it's um, Alien Covenant again. And this is going to sound inconsistent, right? Because this is kind of why I put Resurrection above Alien versus Predator, but I didn't do it here. It, I, I think within the confines of its own film, it's like it, it's slightly better made. Mm-hmm. I think within the context of the series, I prefer where Alien Three sits. But yeah, I can see that. I thought for a second about Alien Covenant above Aliens, but then I thought I really would get a high reactions, and I would have been disowned by. At least a couple of friends. The thing is, though, right? I mean, this. So, I mean, not that I want to digress us too much, but this is where I start to get into my my rant about about kind of ranking things in lists, right? Because yeah. it depends what your your criteria is, criteria are rather for um yes. for ranking, right? Because if we're talking about kind of like you know the wider influence of the film and what effect it has on other films, both within. And out with this franchise. I think you could argue. I, I think you could make that argument. I think you could look at putting the Alien Covenant above Aliens, right? Um, you know, it's like the Shrek argument. Like Shrek, Shrek's a good film. Like, but it made every film in. It maybe it made every animated film for about the past fifteen years after into this arch kind of Shrek copy. You know, like <laughs> yeah. so. Like, is Shrek good or is it bad? You know, um, it's a kind of a to me anyway. It's a similar sort of argument here. So I mean, I I would see it. I'd I'd, I'd still think you'd you'd be mocked and jeered in the street but you know i, I could see i could see why that that you could make that argument but i'm not making that argument yeah. uh, not 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 today at least <laughs> uh under alien 3 i have prometheus and again on on the kind of subjectivity of rankings i was thinking just this weekend maybe i should move prometheus above alien 3 because i think the i, I was specifically thinking about this in the context of the creator the Gareth Edwards film, mm. which I went to see this weekend, where the ambition of it and the visual spectacle of it carries a lot of weight for me. I, I appreciate an ambitious sci-fi, and I appreciate these lofty ideas, even if they don't quite work or have a script that's a bit chunky. So I feel like, whereas the script chunkiness stands out for me in Prometheus a lot more 
on every subsequent viewing after the first one, I think I'd feel the same way about the creator, where just viewing it this once, I can appreciate the scale and the ambition, and the script shonkiness annoys me a little. I think if I went back to the creator, I'd, I'd be more and more annoyed by it every time. But it's that ambition that I think Prometheus has, that kind of could, on a good day for me, elevate it above Alien 3. See, I think I, I think for me it was pretty much it was pretty much firmly ensconced in number five, right? It wasn't going to go any lower than that. It wasn't going to go any higher than that. I I think because of the reason you said, right? I I have a lot of problems with Prometheus. We spoke about them, and I think I I think the thing for me is the script shonkiness to me undermines how grand everything else is, right? Because it has yeah. these grand ideas, but it has these characters doing incredibly stupid things. But what I will what I will say is. I think that ambition, combined with the visuals that you get, kind of Ridley Scott delivering in that film, and you know performances mm-hmm. like um, you know Fassbender's in the film and and things like that, it it kind of it gives it a it gives it a floor on its quality that means it's never going to dip down to the final three films on this list, right? Yeah, that that's the thing. It's a it's a well enough made film with good enough performances and interesting enough ideas. That there's something for you to glom onto, right? You know, I mean, like for somebody it might be the ideas, yeah. for somebody it might be the visuals, for somebody it might be Fastbender's performance, for other people it might be two or three of those things, right? But all of those things does give it a little bit of a flak jacket against actually being as bad as the, in my view, the final three films on this list, which we have different orders for, but it's the same three films, right? It was never yes. going to go lower than that on this list, basically. That's it. It, it, it. It's carried along by that ambition and that scope in a way that the other three that I'll get onto aren't similar to the creator. Have you seen the creator? Not yet. No. I plan to because um, I quite like uh, I, I've, I quite like him as a filmmaker actually. But I think the direction is great. You know, not to go off on the creator too much, but I think his direction is great. He is entirely hamstrung by the script, which didn't work. And it is is deeply flawed. So next in my list is Alien Ved- Alien versus Predator. So you had Alien Resurrection after Prometheus. I've got Alien versus Predator, followed by Alien Resurrection. I think for me the imagery in Alien versus Predator. I, I take your point about there being interesting imagery in Alien Resurrection, but for me, the interesting imagery in the kind of Lovecraftian. Uh, imagery of Alien vs. Predator elevates it above Alien Resurrection in particular because of the flaws of Alien Resurrection which we discussed mm-hmm. this kind of teenage boy misogyny, the very Josh Whedon-y script really irritated me this time round you know, we discussed it in the episode but it's got a purient sensibility yeah, that I, I, think I that's, really dislike. Yeah, I think I, I think that's fair. I think I think when I'm sitting doing this right, I think it, part of what plays into this, of course, right, is what you remember about the film after, right? And I think the thing for me is I remember some of the things in Alien Resurrection that I thought were decent, right? Alien versus Predator. I will be perfectly honest. I remember very little of it, right? And it's one of the films that we actually watched most Not recently, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's just, it's a bit of a there and gone film, right? I don't really remember. Actually, honestly, the thing that I remember about Alien vs. Predator the most upon re-watching it for this 
this podcast is its plot similarities with Prometheus. How similar it is to Prometheus. Right, that, that's, that's actually didn't... Because mm-hmm. that's something that I, did, I hadn't, obviously hadn't noticed before, because when I first watched Alien vs. Predator, Prometheus didn't exist, right? I, that was honestly the thing that, that stuck out to me. And, it, you know, it has its moments, but it's just... To me, it's ultimately a less interesting film. Now, Alien Resurrection... It has a lot of issues, and I think you've highlighted them, right? And we spoke about that. And I think that you know the you know the puerile, the puerile humor and kind of locker room misogyny to it is is unfortunate, right? And that that drags it down quite far. I think ultimately, for me, the reason I end up putting it above it above Alien versus Predator is is just because there was more memorable imagery. Um, sure. You know, and I think that's that's the thing that I've remembered from it, rather than you know. Now, now, that, now that you've mentioned it, yes, I'm remembering all the all the things like you know, like who you know, say who who have I got a blow around here or something? I can't remember. Anyway, they, all these ridiculous sort of like lines of script. I'm like, this is what what are you talking about? Yeah. Um. So yeah, this is another one where I can, I can live with like you know the switch that we've made here. If I was to do it the other way around, but I think ultimately it's just the you know, visual imagery is just a bit more interesting to me in the end. I think, interestingly, and, you know, arguably this is something we should have done, if I had done my franchise before we start, if I'd done my franchise ranking before we started this podcast, I think Alien Resurrection would have been a lot higher, purely because of how I remember it. Uh, And I guess I remember it as, I remembered it as quite entertaining, like, fun, schlocky blockbuster. Maybe we're talking, like, top three uh, if if I'd been doing this at the start of before we started watching them, but it's it's the subjectivity of that last experience of watching it where I just really didn't like it and it really irritated me for not even fitting with the correct tone. Like it no. doesn't even have the right tone as the rest of the films, and that's something that uh, you know we talked about the script extensively. I, I think Whedon's script massively misunderstands and. Uh, Jean-Pierre, as you know, his direction doesn't help either. I mean, looking back at it, actually, like, I mean, it, it, we did mention this during the episode, but I think about kind of the tone of Alien Resurrection, and you say so, like, it misunderstands the tone. I'd actually argue it makes no attempt to do so. You know, it's not, yeah, yeah, it's not that, even a misunderstands it. I think, it, like, I, I, honestly, like, you, you look at it and it's kind of like, you know, we discussed kind of like Joss Whedon's reaction to the film and him indicating that the issues were not with his script. Well, we said, yeah, just sure. said well, so, sorry, Joss, that's a load of old horse shit. Um, because what I would argue is that that's written as a Joss Whedon film. It's not written as an alien film. Yeah. You know, it, it it's, it's Joss Whedon's concept of what a Joss Whedon alien film would be. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I would argue it makes no attempt to understand um so yeah i mean the more we talk about this the more i want to put alien versus predator above alien resurrection now but i think i'll I'll stick with i'll stick with the the ranking i think yeah i think even alien versus predator is more alien franchisey than alien resurrection yeah i could see and last alien versus predator requiem it's it's a nasty film it's a horrible film it's too dark the action scenes are boring it doesn't work yep (laughs) <laughs> so not too dissimilar no not really and I think you could make it I, I, certainly the Alien Resurrection Alien vs Predator order that really I think that is a bit of a coin flip for me um, mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. I'll, I'll stick with it but yeah 
Yeah, like like I say, there's only so many films, there's only eight films that we're ranking here, so there's not a great deal of variation that can be had, especially when we we essentially agree that Alien is a masterpiece. Yeah, no, and I think you've got to work pretty hard to not have Alien second, really. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, I mean, I think there's a subset of people out there who probably think think we're mad for putting Alien second, right? Because I know it has its folk who are kind of like, oh, well, you know... Because this is the old thing, right? People keep talking about, like, you know, oh, sequels that are better than the original. Like, oh, they're so rare. Here are examples, right? And the ones that always get trotted out are uh, Terminator 2, which I disagree with. Aliens, which I disagree with. You know, and and various... uh, The Godfather Part 2, which maybe maybe I agree with. uh, You know, and all the the rest of it. But to me, Alien is, is... the better film. It's not to say that Aliens is a bad film, we discussed this, but to me it is clearly the better film. I also, just tangent alert, I don't think this uh, sequels are generally worse than the originals idea actually holds anymore. I think there's too many examples disproving it now in this day and age to actually have that as one of these unwritten sort of rules of cinema, but that's a that's a different discussion. Yeah. yeah. I vastly prefer Blade Runner 2049 to Blade Runner. Well, it's not like just massively. It's not just that. You look at it kind of like the, you know, things like, um, you know, the the DC universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and blah blah blah. I mean, there are so many films now are sequels, right? And a lot of them are pretty decent. Slash, some of the originals that they were spun off from aren't that good. That I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think this rule fits anymore. You know, it's like. You know, if you want to take something as disposable, and yes, I will say disposable, it's the Thor films, right? Yep. I mean, who in their right mind is going to say the original Thor is the best Thor? It's it's madness. Like you, you know, so like there's that, and then you've got like the Captain America films. Like I don't think anybody would pick the first Captain America film as the best Captain America film. Like you know, I realize it's kind of it's reflective of this paradigm that we're now in with Hollywood movie making. But like, I don't think this. It's rare for sequels to be better than the original thing is actually true anymore, and I don't think it's been true for the best part of a couple of decades at this point. Anyway, digression over. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, so before we talk about the future of the Alien franchise, some proposed projects that are coming out, or or have been proposed but never made, I want to focus on the present and talk a little bit about where franchise directors are now, because sure. all all these directors have gone on to do interesting things maybe in different directions from the alien franchise um but we can talk briefly about where they are now so uh ridley scott obviously came back to the franchise from from the first alien and we'll discuss some of his proposed projects for the alien franchise in a bit but right now he has a napoleon coming out soon which is a biopic of napoleon bonaparte with uh joaquin phoenix uh, and also Gladiator 2 is coming out soon. And I tell you, I'm not sure I've seen Gladiator 1. Really? No, I don't think so. No. Can't remember it anyway. It's a good one. I I have this theory, which I nearly wrote something about, but I never did in the end, about the fact that Ridley, Sc- Ridley Scott, who makes a lot of films, right, and he's made a lot of extremely good yep. films, uh, you know, some of which we've spoken about during this podcast, he also makes a lot of very bad films as well, right? I think purely because he makes a lot of films, right? Um, And I have this theory that basically once a decade he makes a masterpiece. Right? So, you've got Alien in the 70s. You've got... say what his masterpiece is. Yeah, so you've got Alien in the 70s. You've got Blade Runner in the 80s. 
Right. I don't like Blade Runner. I disagree. No. What do you do a second podcast? So I'm going to stick with Blade Runner. And then you've got, let's say, Thelma and Louise in the 90s. You've got Gladiator in the noughties. And then then it starts to get a little bit more difficult, right? I think the 2010s, I think you could make a case for his best film from the 2010s. I'm not going to call it a masterpiece because it has issues, but I actually think it's The Martian, right? Good. I was going to say The Martian. Um, I'm glad you said that. You know, so there's that. And then we're now into the 2020s, and the question is, what is it going to be for this, right? Because I haven't seen The Last Jewel, so I can't speak to that. Um, it's certainly not House of Gucci. <laughs> um, so will it be Napoleon? Will it be Gladiator 2? Wow. I don't know. But but this is my theory. He makes a genuinely brilliant film once a decade. And he'll make kind of like, you know, some other bad films, some fairly decent films, you know, um, at other points. But once a decade, he makes a really good film. And I think we're still waiting for that one in the 2020s. So. Mm-hmm. House of Gucci, Mamma Mia. I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting that, like Alien, he's going back to an old film. Gladiator 2 is going to be mm-hmm. a kind of long, you know, a, a long-awaited sequel to, to a film that he made in, what did you say it was, the 90s? Uh, no, that was Gladiator was 2000, so right at the start. Of so I suppose technically all his production was probably in the 90s, but it was released in 2000. Yeah, so you know, a good twenty-year gap between between those films. So it's, you know, is this going to be the Prometheus of of his Gladiator? James Cameron uh, is stuck in a loop of making endless Avatar films for the rest of time. He's been cursed by a water demon <laughs> to make Avatar films uh, forever, and he's in production on what Avatar three. Su- surprise five. twist: the water demon is him in his submarine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He went down to the Titanic and he found a cursed necklace or whatever that makes him make these films. I'm actually just uh, looking. I'm actually just looking at this, I do not like. this right now, right? By the time Avatar four comes out, right? So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. By the time Avatar four comes out, nearly like basically over a third of his filmography will be Avatar films, <laughs> <laughs> which for a filmmaker who. As we discussed during Daily's episode, sounds like an utter arsehole, right? But is a very yes, de- but does. but is a very talented filmmaker. I I find that a little bit depressing, yeah. to be honest. Like, I'm I'm going to go so far as to say was a very talented filmmaker. Eh, because I, I don't know, I, like you know, I, I don't want to digress into the Avatar films here. Like I, I think the Avatar films are very well made. I just don't think they're very interesting. Like that, it it has the it has some of the problems we spoke about in these other films. I think their scripts are fundamentally uninteresting. I think they're incredibly yeah, uh, made films, but like I'm sorry, that only gets you so far. Like, yeah, I think there's incredible production and incredible visual effects. I don't think that makes for a well-made film, but I think that's just a distinction in kind of the definition of well-made that. We're not going to cover here, and we're not going to do a podcast about the Avatar films. Well, there's not a lot to do. There's not a lot to do yet. Or, frankly, to speak to your point about like what's done well about them and what's not, unless we were visual effects experts, there's not really a lot to talk about. Yeah. David Fincher, who directed Alien 3, has had a hugely successful career after Alien 3, after his debut. He's had some genuinely great films. You know, Fight Club, Seven... I feel like there's a David Fincher I am thinking of but can't get to. 
genuine genuinely i would say david fincher is one of my favorite filmmakers and i don't yeah. and, and the funny thing is i think i watched alien 3 zodiac zodiac is what i was yeah. thinking of yeah zodiac's uh, maybe his masterpiece for me i think like i i watched alien 3 i think really before i really knew who david fincher was right and i don't think i really knew it was a david fincher film i think it was only a few years later once i'd kind of got into david fincher as a filmmaker i saw him immediately and i was like wait what <laughs> like you know and like going back and watching it again um since and then you know once more for for this podcast you can see it in there right i think you you know it, it does have his his stamp on it already albeit hev- heavily fincher yeah yeah heavily interfered with but you can see it there but genuinely like i think seven is a brilliant film. I thought it really... I'm, I'm just looking through his filmography. The only film I've not seen from his films is actually The Game, now that I think about it. But everything... Oh, it's good. It, yeah, but everything at, like, Seven, I think, is fantastic. Fight Club, I... Fight Club's an odd one, right? Because I think it's a brilliant... I, I think it's an absolutely superb film. I think it has a sort of, like, place in popular culture and the way people think of it that's actually completely at odds with the film itself. It's a, it's a strange one like that. Um, mm-hmm. Panic Room, I think, is a great film. Zodiac, I think, is fantastic. Um, you know, I think so good. I think for me, I would maybe put seven above it, perhaps, which is maybe a slightly controversial thing. But I mean, basically, they're they're both superb. The Social Network, I think, is a brilliant film. I think when we like, so you and I have both been contributors to the the Cinetopia, uh show on EHFM, and then twenty twenty we did best films of the decade. Uh, and pick three, and I pick the social network as one of them. Um, oh, cool! And I think what's what I find funny about the social network also is it it came out in two thousand ten, right? And really, its portrayal of the founding of Facebook and Zuckerberg and the motivations and everything behind it has aged beautifully. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which I think is kind of unusual for for that sort of thing. It really has aged beautifully. Um, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I liked. Uh, but I Good. didn't say I necessarily consider it a remarkable film. Gone Girl, I thought was excellent. I'm one of the. F- great. I'm one of the few apologists for Mank. Actually, I thought for what it was trying to do, it was actually it was actually quite interesting. I quite liked it. Um, I I would say it's maybe one of his least interesting films, but you know I appreciated it for what it was. Since I'm an amateur film critic, I'm not a professional film critic. I didn't have to sit through Mank, so I turned it off after half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, get into it, and then, and then even his television work actually, I found very interesting. Like, I mean, like House of Cards, without wanting to get into the the Kevin Spacey of, of of all of it, right? The the initial seasons of that, um, where he was very heavily involved, I thought that was that was superb. And Mindhunter, I think, is brilliant. Um, so Mind like the, some of the work, yeah, some of the work he's gone on to produce since Alien 3 is incredible. And then, of course, at the time we're recording this, um, going around the festival circuit is The Killer, which I've not seen yet, but I'm very interested to yes. see for all the reasons that we've just said. So, yeah, his next film is uh, The Killer, which is at BFI London Film Festival and stars Alien franchise alumnus Michael Fassbender as uh, a hitman, an assassin. Uh, and that's a Netflix film, so it's coming out on Netflix um, before this podcast comes out. Uh, the next director is Jean-Pierre Junet, uh, who directed Alien Resurrection. He went back to smaller, largely French-language films. He did Amelie after Alien Resurrection, which is kind of his most successful film. He's subsequently found it hard to get funding for his 
quirkier films, but he did Big Bug for Netflix, which I believe is about robots and AI and stuff. Alien vs. Predator was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who uh, I mentioned at the time did a load of video game movies, did like Resident Evil and Monster Hunter and stuff like that. His next film is an adaptation of a George R.R. R. Martin story. And the Brothers Strauss, the forgotten directors of Aliens vs. Predator Requiem, they made uh, the film Skyline and were producers on a load of Skyline sequels. And I haven't seen Skyline, I'm not sure what it's about. Uh, but they were sued by Sony Pictures Entertainment over alleged theft of time and resources because they had worked on a similar film for Sony. And Sony is alleging that they, you know, took the uh, visual effects and stuff that they developed for that film to the film Skyline. Nowadays, they mostly manage uh, their company, Hydrox, which is a special effects company, and they, they seem to be mostly out of the directing game. So interesting career paths for these uh, these different directors. But I want to look forward to the future of the Alien franchise and look at some of the proposed films that will be coming out or that won't be coming out because they never got made. So there's there's been a number of projects, some of which we've talked about on the podcast, that were going to be made in the Alien franchise almost immediately after Alien, uh, 20th Century Fox wanted to make an Alien TV series. Now this is only mentioned once in an article in Fangoria in June 1980 where the the author of the article talks about 20th Century Fox wanting to make an Alien series and NBC wanting to make a Salem's Lot series uh, based on the, the film adaptation of the Stephen King novel. So there's no information about it because it really didn't get anywhere past the idea stage. But interestingly, there is another television series in production that we're going to discuss further down this list. Aliens War Games was a cartoon series which was proposed in 2007 and was kind of supposed to be a continuation of Aliens, like following the Colonial Marines on their cartoon adventures. There's some concept art that looks very like uh, Gendy Tartovsky's art for Star Wars Clone Wars and it's it's obviously meant to be a kind of series of short cartoons like Star Wars Clone Wars. A- Aliens War Games never got made. It sounds like a god awful idea to me. It doesn't I mean it doesn't sound great to me. Like I I, I read about it. I mean I know mate it's one of these things where like the the desire to monetize this franchise runs into kind of what it actually is because I mean I suppose potentially this yeah, could exactly. have been interesting I mean. in a sort of like Saturday morning cartoon type way but like the idea of making a Saturday morning cartoon type thing out of the Alien franchise just sounds bizarre to me like yeah. it, it's I, it, I remember it's the, the the kind of Saturday morning cartoon series for Ghostbusters mm-hmm. like the real Ghostbusters makes more sense because I can imagine kids watching Ghostbusters and getting a lot out of it whereas I can't really imagine them watching Aliens and getting the same thing out of it No, Alien Earthbound is a script by Stuart Hazeldine uh, which was a sequel to Alien 3 this was going to be Alien 4 so he, he, he wrote this script called Alien Earthbound and he was shopping it about Ripley gets cloned and teams up with some pirates uh, there's stuff about getting to earth stopping the aliens from getting to earth and which is similar to the the last bit of alien resurrection 
So there, there's a, an, a station above Antarctica, interestingly, linking with Alien versus Predator. And it's this, it's this kind of ticking clock thing where they invade the Antarctica station and it's going to crash into the Earth if they don't, you know, stop it. Never got made, never got past the script stage. After Alien Resurrection, they wanted to make a fifth Alien film. Sigourney Weaver was kind of the sticking point on that as she didn't want to be involved. Josh Whedon, who wrote Alien Resurrection, as we discussed, developed a script set on Earth for Alien 5 called Alien Revelation. Sigourney Weaver didn't like it. And she was moving away from the whole franchise because they were moving ahead with Alien vs. Predator at the time. Similarly, James Cameron had discussions with Ridley Scott about where they could take it, but didn't want to be involved because of Alien Predator. Alien vs. Predator coming out. There's then a period of director Neil Blomkamp being involved in uh, Alien 5. So Neil Blomkamp directed District 9, which was kind of a sci-fi allegory of South African apartheid. Uh, and he's good, from what I recall. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the District 9, I think, is a superb film. Um, I haven't seen Elysium, uh, which didn't seem to get particularly good reception. Oh, yeah, I mean, either. I'm a bit of a chappy apologist. I don't really see what people's massive issues were with that <laughs> film, to be perfectly honest. And then, other than that, I've not kind of um, paid that much attention to his films, really. I mean, like the film you made most recently was the Gran Turismo film, which is a, which is a film whose concept like confuses me slightly it's not a film i've seen so i can't really speak to the quality of it but there was a while i think really where this this neil blomkamp alien 5 and i'll come to why it'd be it's an odd thing that we keep talking about it is alien 5 um where that seemed to be kind of like the alien film that the internet wanted made right you know because he put out concept yeah, yeah. art on social media and people kind of like latched onto it and basically i think from what i remember right at the time when it was still an idea that was kind of like kicking around the thing that everybody seemed to glom onto which i find quite amusing given the franchise rankings that we've just gone through it's it's main usp seemed to be the idea that it would ignore anything that had happened after aliens well this yeah there there was a time when neil blomkamp was a very trendy director so he directed he, he became well known for directing some short films uh, adapting Halo, the Halo video games, mm. which have a very similar look to Aliens and, and kind of deal with space marines battling aliens. And so there was this idea that he could do an a-, a Halo film and that people sort of glommed onto this idea of him doing an alien film and making it look like these Halo films that he did. And it was, yeah, very trendy to, to want Neil Blomkamp. And his idea which he called Alien Xeno, would have, what's the word, retconned Mm. Alien 3 and had Ripley and Hicks from Aliens doing something. So there was a great deal of concept art made. Xenomorph Queens and Ripley and Hicks uh, looking older. There, There was even stuff around the engineers and the space jockeys and whatnot that were in these concept images. But obviously that never came to, to, to fruition. The The project was apparently never picked up by 20th Century Fox either, even though Neil Blomkamp was pushing for it to uh, to be involved. Nowadays, you, you mentioned Gran Turismo. There was an interview with him in uh, Up Rocks by Mike Ryan, where Mike Ryan asked him about Alien, and 
he said it's hard to define how little I care about what happened with Alien. I, I find you, and you kind of shuts down the interview after that. Yeah, you 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 linked you linked me to this, and I had a read of it. And it's an absolutely fascinating little little snippet. You're right. He gets <laughs> so, so. I mean, peek behind the curtain. We have show notes that we refer to when we're recording these. And Simon's just got Blomkamp gets real pissy when you ask him about this. And I would encourage somebody yeah. to go find find that interview because he really does. It's just that brutality, like. I don't care what happens here. It's like, you know, and, and it's been a very kind of like, you know, perfectly pleasant interview up to that point. But yeah, it's it, yeah, it, bizarre. It's been perfectly pleasant. He, he, he asks, the interviewer asks about Alien and he says, I don't care. He says, I, I just want to talk about Gran Turismo or we shouldn't talk. He says, let's focus on Gran Turismo. And then he's down to like monosyllabic answers yeah. before eventually the publicist says, it's time to end this. Which, to be honest with you, I, I find extremely churlish, because it's him that put out, like, concept art on social media and everything. Like, it's not, like, kind of, like, you know, word got out he was working on something and, like, he doesn't want to talk no, about it. Like, 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 dude, you're the one who... <laughs> you're the one who put all this out here. <laughs> that's it. Uh, he, he put it out on Instagram on his own account, but at some point was not involved anymore, and now does not want to talk about it. The Alien vs. Predator sub-franchise has its own proposed films uh, so there were proposed films for aliens versus predator 3 the brother strauss uh, had ideas for this they had an idea for uh, an aliens versus predator film that would take place in the future in the time frame of the original alien films and it would follow you know th- this idea of battling a xenomorph queen on a planet there was this idea of going to the xenomorph's home planet uh, and covering covering that ground following the kind of development of Utani after the end of Wequiem where she gets the gun and is like, this will take us to the stars or whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I just had this vision of her picking up and then just saying to infinity and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been better. The, late, the latest weird crossover, Alien versus Predator versus Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Buzz Lightyear would stand I mean, it's like, I mean it, is all owned by Di- it is all owned by Disney now. It <laughs> so. could happen. But yeah, neither Buzz Lightyear, the character from Lightyear, or Buzz Lightyear the toy would fare well against uh, a xenomorph, I don't think. No. So yeah, Alien vs. Predator films, they wanted to be a third, but it, it never happened. Shane Black, who directed uh, The Predator, wanted to make an Alien vs. Predator film, but as of yet, hasn't. Shane Black doing Shane Black doing one of those things would be interesting. I do I do, I quite like Shane Black as a filmmaker. I mean I think it would still sit completely at odds with the Alien series, but within Alien within this Alien versus Predator sort of you know shoot off world, I'd be interested to see what he'd do with that. To be honest, with you. I think it could be a bit more arch and knowing and winky. It could work, but you know. Mm. Uh, like who knows I, I quite like some of Shane Black's films I personally think Iron Man 3 is the best Iron Man film yes I said it um, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang I think is excellent but at the same time The Predator was fucking dreadful so you know <laughs> and then there's Ridley Scott's ideas so Ridley Scott has talked about a third part in the Prometheus Covenant trilogy that would kind of bridge the gap between Covenant and Alien. Uh, in 2017, it was reported that that film had already been written and would be ready to film in 2018, dependent on how successful Covenant was. Hasn't happened. Scott has also talked uh, to Fandango about a film called that he calls Alien Awakening, which he suggests would be set between Prometheus and Covenant. 
I'm not sure what ground there is to cover there. Like, I mean, David developing the little xenomorphs. Yeah, I don't really know what there is to, it's all implied. to do there. I, I, certainly, if you're focusing within, if you're focusing with the on upon the characters that we know from Prometheus, I don't see what there is there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like even even accounting for the fact that that period is fairly glibly glossed over in Covenant, right? Given yeah. where Covenant goes. I don't really see what there is to fill in there. Um, or I don't really see what there is to fill in in any interesting manner there. Um, I I think this is maybe just one of Ridley Scott's musings that he throws out in interviews, to be honest. Speaking of Ridley Scott's musings that he throws out in interviews, <laughs> he has also stated that there will be at least three more prequel films covering whatever period he, he has an idea about. And he's talked about replacing the Xenomorphs with AI-based antagonists saying that the Xenomorphs aren't scary anymore, and so he wanted to explore what a world created well, whose by fault AIs is that, Ridley? would look like. <laughs> <laughs> They're not scary. Well, whose fault is that, Ridley? <laughs> so he now talks about uh, th- these ideas of an AI antagonist and the engineers, and and which I guess you, you follow David creating this colony or whatever after Covenant. I can see how you could do that. Catherine Waterston, who was in Alien Covenant, hasn't heard anything in ages about a sequel. In 2019, 20th Century Fox uh, were acquired by Disney, but confirmed that future Alien films were still in development. And whatever those films are, it's not clear. Because the next thing we hear about is Fede Alvarez's upcoming film Alien Romulus. Now, this was supposed to be a Hulu release, like uh, Prey, the latest Predator film. But I think they've turned it into a theatrical release. And the idea is that this is a standalone film based on uh, Alien. Follows a group of young people on a distant world who find themselves in confrontation with a xenomorph. I I don't know a great deal about this, but it's supposed to come out next year, right? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, at at the time of recording... Well, let me let me clarify because this will get confusing quickly. At the time of our recording, this the film is being recorded, and I think it was being recorded in in Budapest. I want to say, so it's coming. Yeah, it has, um, it's it coming. It's coming date. soon enough that we might even end up dusting off this podcast feed to talk about it when it comes out. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, I think what interests me about this one, right? Out of all, out of out of all the ones that we've spoken about right is the fact that it says it's standalone now this does raise questions about how exactly it does link right and what makes it an alien film beyond the title alien and presumably a xenomorph right i mean i don't think it says that explicitly right so you know who knows but i think the fact that it does potentially have room to do its own thing is interesting here who knows? Who knows? It could end yeah. up. It could end up terrible. I've, I've, I've no idea. I mean, nobody does at this point. But I think the fact that it is standalone and it maybe is as a result slightly less beholden to, you know, this vast sprawling franchise that we've spoken about makes it interesting. Like, could it go somewhere a little bit, um, a little bit different, or yeah, it, or, at least, or at least do its own thing within kind of the context of a you know a horror film? And certainly, Fede Alvarez is. Background. I haven't actually seen any of his um, 
films, but you know, he was a producer on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Um, he's directorial mm-hmm. credits include the Evil Dead reboot in 2013. You know, like I mean, that's kind of seems to be the world in which he's operating, right? So, yeah, I, I think a standalone thing might be the best thing for the franchise at this point. You know, prove that you can tell other stories that don't link into this kind of continuity that, however fractured, has been set up. Uh, and have more of an episodic kind of thing would 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 work for me. So it has a release date of 16th of August 2024. If it comes out on that date, I guess we'll review it on this on this podcast, maybe. So yeah, unless Disney slash 20th Century Studios pull a Batgirl on it and can it for tax reasons, presumably we'll see it at some point. So. <laughs> You know they filmed Batgirl. They filmed Batgirl in Glasgow, which is where I live, and they especially did they did uh, night scenes at the park, right right next to my flat. So they erected these huge lights, which were super bright and kind of shone into my window, uh, so we could see them from here. And they put down this gross artificial snow that uh, the council were told would just disappear without any harm to plant life and wildlife. Uh, but I go running through that park fairly regularly, and it took months to disappear. <laughs> and it looked very damaging to the local uh, flora. And it was all for nothing, because the film never even came out. Yeah. me. There we go. That's a tangent. Uh, <laughs> the next thing is uh, a Noah Hawley TV series. So Noah Hawley is the uh, showrunner of Fargo, the Fargo TV series, which does a different thing every season, and I think has a good first season. A meh second season, a great third season. I don't think I watched the fourth season. I didn't, but so I, so this I this I find interesting, right? Because certainly Noah Hawley's track record seems to be a little bit mixed, shall we say? Um, Fargo is an interesting one in that I'm trying to because I, I keep getting my seasons of this show mixed up. But the the, the main thing I want to be is. When we talk about kind of like prestige TV in the 21st century, right? The first season of that Fargo series is right up there for me. I really think that first season of it is absolutely it's very good. Is absolutely superb. And then the second season, I recall being fairly, I recall being fairly decent, but maybe not quite as bold. Or season three, I enjoyed a lot. I think that's the one that's got David Thewlis in it, and I think that was kind that's of the, David the, Thewlis yeah. and Ewan McGregor playing two characters. Yeah, that's and I just love David Thewlis in that in that in that season. He's yeah. so good. Yeah, so I mean David Thewlis is excellent. I, he's one of the, he's one of those actors where like it, it, if he's involved, I automatically become more interested in whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then season four. I started watching it and I thought it was fairly decent, but I didn't actually make it all the way through it. I think I've watched like four episodes from it and I've just kind of never bothered to watch the rest of it. Um, You know, so make of that what you will. Legion is supposedly quite good. I've not watched it. I've not seen it. So I don't really know what to make of this and I I don't really know... You you know, so so the the thing is it's meant to be a prequel, right, before the events of Alien, right? Um, Yes, so I don't set not too far in our future. Yeah. This is a summary from the mm-hmm. uh, production company. Set not too far in our future. It's the first alien story set on Earth. That's not really true. Not true. <laughs> and by blending both the timeless horror of the first alien film with the non-stop action of the second, it's going to be a scary thrill ride that will blow people back in their seats. This is the point where I put up the Ron Burgundy meme and go, I don't believe you. 
um yeah yeah i i i don't know it sounds i, I don't it sounds want... odd i don't really i don't really understand how this concept works but you know like whatever i'll check it out when it pops up but I, I i don't know i don't see i don't see this working like you know i i'll judge it once it's actually out there to judge but i do kind of look at it and go eh really mm. like, i think it's funny that Throughout this podcast, we have talked about the identity crisis of the Alien franchise, which I attribute to this immediate clash between Alien and Aliens. And it's so funny that they're just <laughs> leaning into that as the premise of their yeah, exactly. of their show. Like, we're going to blend Alien and Aliens. Like, no, that's the whole problem with this franchise. Yeah. Don't do Noah Hawley. Listen to this podcast yeah it's funny it, it kind of it goes even to, into the production of what they're doing right now because even the fact that there are these two things right one is a film one is a tv series one is a standalone thing the other one's a prequel i you know like like what are you doing it's even more like, fractured yeah like like right now it, it's it feels as fractured as it has ever been despite these efforts by ridley scott to kind of tame it and pull it in one direction it just feels like it's since being acquired by Disney, it's it's spread out and fractured into a million little bits that may or may not even get made. But, like this, but this then again, I mean, is... that's, you know, I mean, the, in the era in which we are regarding this, that's the Disney playbook, right? I mean, that's what they've done with Star Wars. Um, spread themselves too thin. Yeah, you know, I mean, like the, the whole thing, I mean... And Marvel. Yeah, and and Mar- you know the Marvel stuff as well, right? Because Star Wars, I think it it stands out more for me because it kind of comes from a similar place to the Alien films, really, right? And the, you know it was a you know obviously Star Wars is more of a sci-fi fantasy bent than you know sci-fi, but like you know late seventies mm-hmm. thing, very successful, popular film, spun out some very successful sequels. They come back to it decades later to varying levels of success, and now acquired by disney and it's getting spun in all sorts of directions you don't know what the hell's happening we've had a sequel trilogy there's supposedly another trilogy there was another trilogy that was canned we've had standalone films one of which was good one of which was bad we've got tv series some of which are good some of which are bad and you know it it just becomes very hard to follow and you've got the same thing with the the marvel films right it started off as a you know, franchise of franchises, and now it's kind of just spun out into the bit where even I, and I kept up with it pretty well, I've kind of lost track of what I've watched and what I haven't. And the the indications are, you know, we haven't got many data points to work with here, is that this is going to go the same way. Um, and I think it's interesting with this one, because this one, at the point Disney acquired it, already had its own identity crisis and confusion about <laughs> what the hell they were doing with it. Um, that doesn't look to be improving. No. So this this series is allegedly in pre-production, uh, and they were supposed to start filming it. Uh, FX is is running this, and FX said it would start filming in twenty twenty three. I haven't heard anything about it this year, so who knows if that filming is going on or if it's being filmed what. in the states. I think you have to assume that it probably hasn't at this point. Yes, what would like if it was being produced then? elsewhere then, you know, maybe it wouldn't be under the auspices of that union, so maybe then it would have gone ahead, but otherwise mm-hmm. I can't see it having happened, because this doesn't strike me as the sort of thing that would get an interim agreement or something like that, so... So those are what we can look forward to. Um, potentially, Alien Romulus 
next year, uh, and otherwise this Alien TV series uh, coming out on FX. And if Ridley Scott focuses on his his prequel films, uh, another one or potentially three of those. I I had some thoughts about what a worst case scenario for, for an Alien film would be. Because I just had a vision of deep faked actors from the original Alien, you know? Uh, mm. <laughs> Another thing de-aged. out of the Disney playbook, so. <laughs> exactly. A de aged Sigourney Weaver, uh, you know, boarding the Nostromo for the first time um, and, and seeing how they get to the point where they get to in the first Alien film, Ugh, which God. I just imagine would be utterly terrible. No, it would be. It, 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 the funny thing, I'll be interested to see what what happens on 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 that front, right? And the, the, like the strike that we've kind of highlighted as going on during our recordings in the past few episodes this is what some of this stuff like centers around, right? But I, I I'm actually I was a bit of an apologist, like to to draw a parallel between aliens and de aging technology, right? And deep faking. I was a bit. I'm a bit of an apologist for um, the the Grand Moff Tarkin deep fake in rogue one right i actually thought it was pretty well done i like I, it i think it works well yeah and like I, I and i'm okay with it as a concept because there is actually an actor performing that role and you can make the argument that it's essentially digital makeup right i think there's you know an, an actor who's not peter cushing yeah exactly right that guy is he's doing the, the model name. yeah right and he's doing yeah. and critically and this is the critical part to me he's doing the voice right so like it is his vocal performance yes. as well right so you can make a much better case for that being kind of like digital makeup or a blend of live action anime and like very photorealistic animation however you want to put it right but the key thing is there's a performance there the thing that mm-hmm. the, the direction that things have gone in more recently and we only say within star wars to do it which i find a lot more insidious is the use of ai voices right to mimic um like young mark hamill as luke skywalker or uh, James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader, that, to me, starts to get into, what are we even watching here, territory, you know? I think there was some there was some rumours around Obi-Wan Kenobi that James Earl Jones wasn't even involved. They just got the voice, uh, you know, all entirely computer-generated. Mm. I don't know how much credence there is to those. I I, um, I I don't know, but I mean, what I will say is I'm pretty sure that some of that was done for the young Luke Skywalker in the Book of Boba Fett, right? And that's where this technology is going, right? So looking back to, you know, this series of films, I'll be interested to see whether any of that actually actually shows up, right? Because um, I think if it I think if it did that really truly is the death knell of this franchise, right? That's when it is obviously completely devoid of ideas, right? Anyway, to to, to not go to it, yes, that is the worst case scenario. Yep, that would that would be very bad, capital B. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> for, for, for all the critique that we have done on this podcast, the whole thing is, is critique and criticism. I think we did Alien, we chose Alien for this because we love the Alien films fundamentally I, I love alien i would say it's one of if not my favorite film one of my favorite films and i think the best thing it, it's hard to say what will happen to the franchise given that it is now owned by disney 
who, you know, we have focused on Marvel and Star Wars a little bit in discussing this because it's owned by Disney uh, and because it's now a Disney property, we can see the same things that could be happening to this franchise. I think the worst thing that could happen is as much content as they're now churning out for Marvel and Star Wars, which, for me, entirely dilute those two things. You know, as much as I love Alien and this universe, I just don't want to see all that low-quality pap uh, applied to 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 Alien. Yeah, and I think if you look at the other like big Disney juggernauts, right, that we've spoken about there, the the, the thing is the the quality of any individual project, notwithstanding, they lend themselves to that i this kind of approach, right? Because like obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe is based upon the Marvel comic books, and there are dozens of characters in that in scores of different storylines and things like the the point is there's the the source material there is so vast Mm -hmm. right that it lends itself to like spinning up different things that are connected to Mm -hmm. it right now albeit they've maybe done too many of them and it started to look a bit cheap and rushed and it's not particularly well thought out you know whatever i'm not going to relitigate kind of our opinions on the the marvel cinematic universe here and then on the Star Wars side of things, and Star Wars is the more interesting comparison here because they've both got they've got this sci-fi space bent to it, right? To an extent, it also lends itself to that because it implies, it is implied in the way that those films were constructed in the world building that there's a vast kind of galaxy out there and characters to link in with and their own little stories that you can jump onto, right? So you can kind of create that off it. And then before Disney acquired it, there was that vast kind of expanded universe of, like, tie-in comic books and novels and stuff, right? So, like, you've already seen that happen in a different medium even. Here, and the way it differs with Star Wars, I think if they were to take this approach with the Alien films, it would be absolutely ruinous and a terrible idea is because the entire thing with Alien, and we discussed this as kind of like a, a, a point that kind of worked against a little bit Covenant and, and Prometheus, but fundamentally the original text of this franchise, Alien, is all, it's predicated on the idea that yes, the universe is vast, it's uncaring, and there are horrors out there that we cannot ever know and we might just bump into randomly, mm. right? It, it's, it's basically, it's predicated on the idea that it's so vast we cannot know it. Right. Yes. And whilst that opens up limitless possibilities, it does also kind of actually restrict it, right? Because it's not as easily, it's not as easily expanded whilst keeping it familiar, right? And that's why I'm of the two things that we've spoken about that are supposedly in production, the Alien Romulus film, which is meant to be a standalone thing, I find that the more interesting because I think that's got more scope to do something, which is its own idea. Right and yeah. you know how it links into the alien films, eh? Whatever, we'll see. Right, but it, it sounds like the more potentially interesting project. The TV series, based on the way it's been described, it sounds like a Disney. You know, and I realise maybe I'm doing a bit of confirmation bias here, but it sounds like a Disney thing. The whole kind of like you know, blend both the timeless horror of the first alien film with the non-stop action of the second. It's going to be a scary thrill ride that will blow people back in their seats. It's just like, oh Christ, just shut up. You know, like <laughs> it, 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 like. I like do, do do is that really what we want? You know, it's just so I find it interesting, and I think what direction it probably goes in probably depends on which of these ends up being more successful. Frankly, but you know, we'll see. It's a good point. Almost like a crossroads with these two directions, mm. uh, leading in different areas for the franchise, which is interesting given with everything we discussed around 
different routes through this through this franchise. Mm-hmm. So I think that brings us to the end of uh, the Xenopod and the end of our discussions of the Alien franchise. We've watched them all, we've critiqued them all, we've contextualised them all, uh, and against Jim's better judgement, we've also ranked them all. For the future, if Alien Romulus comes out in 2024, we might review that and throw that in this feed. Otherwise, we, uh, we, we've had some discussions about other film series that we might want to cover in in this same kind of way. Uh, and if we do that kind of project, we'll put something out on the feed to advertise it, or we'll put it on uh, Twitter, at, at the Xenopod, or Blue Sky, at, at the xenopod.bsky.social. But apart from that, I think we're at the end of our alien journey. Yeah. I think the only thing, the, the, the last thing to add, I think, is just I found it an interesting thing to look at because I, I've come to... A kind of conclusion about this this series, right, and what it kind of reflects and means. And I've got a kind of an optimistic interpretation of it, and I've got a very cynical interpretation of it, right. Mm-hmm. And the optimistic inter- the optimistic interpretation is if you have a kind of a good central idea or a good central sort of like you know design for a creature in this case, maybe it is, then if you bring kind of creatives to it who are talented and in good faith you can end up with a whole bunch of really good stuff right you know you get alien you get aliens you get alien covenant you get prometheus uh alien 3 to a certain extent right and you know maybe less so the other ones we've spoken about that's kind of the optimistic thing if you have a good idea and you bring talented creative people to that good idea and they approach it in good faith and they're given space to to work on it you can come up with some really great stuff right Mm -hmm. the cynical interpretation of it is if you come up with a good idea and it does well hollywood will throw any old shit at that idea to make it stick right you'll come up with alien and then before you know it, 40-odd years down the line, you're making Alien Resurrection and Alien vs. Predator Requiem and all the rest of it. So it's kind of two sides of the same coin there, right? If you have a good idea and you get backing and you get good creative people on board, you can come up with like some really interesting things that have so many different layers to them and depth and you can take on any level you want, right? You can watch Alien and just be terrified by this alien creature and leave it at that. Or you can do what we've done, kind of look at like what it represents and how, you know, the particular design and who it interacts with, what it says about certain things, and then how that spins out to other films and all the rest. You can do that, or you can you can take it surface level, and those are both perfectly okay things to do because it's an effective piece of work that's the optimistic one and the cynical one is if you have a good idea hollywood will try and milk it to death and in some cases actually to death <laughs> so that i think that's that that'd be my ending my ending thought thought here and i think this has been such a good example of it because of how long it spans and the different types and the levels of quality like going from like genuinely one of the one of the worst kind of like big-ish budget films I've seen in Requiem through to kind of like, you know, one of the best films I've seen, really, in Alien. Um, And I think it's an interesting way to look at that. But that's kind of my takeaway from it. It's like there is an optimistic one and there's also a cynical one. And basically the modern filmmaking world seems to be trying to balance those two things, right? Yeah, an opposition between these opposing conflicts. I mean, this is the essence of, of Hollywood, right? This balance between creativity and commerce. Yeah. Uh, and Alien franchise has proved to be 
a great look at, at how those two uh, forces interact, fail to interact, fail to interlock, uh, and how these competing forces produce different things. Yeah. So I'm very glad we looked at it, uh, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to our assessment of, of this franchise and, and where it's gone. I have been Simon Bowie. I'm an amateur film critic who can be found for now on Twitter at, at SimonXIX. I also write uh, this year, I've been doing reviews per minute where I write film reviews with a word count that matches how many minutes long the film is and that's at reviewsperminute.simonxix.com This podcast has been hosted by Take One at takeonecinema.net which is a film review site focusing on art house and festival films but which has a broad enough remit to cover a whole selection of films uh, with loads of good reviewers on that site. Jim Ross uh, is on Twitter at JimGR. And pretty much pretty much that on all sorts. I, I'm, I'm about, I, as the implosion of Twitter is ongoing, or X as it's now oh, yeah. known, um, I have profiles various places, but generally it's always JimGR. Um, the only exception is Instagram slash threads, where it's JimGR underscore film, because that predates my part-time film reviewing days um but yeah you can find me on that or any of the, the any of the um the take one social accounts which are generally at take one cinema on pretty much every platform you can think of so thank you for listening do come find us uh, track us down see what we're doing but for now this is the last broadcast of the xenopod signing off game over man it's game over <laughs>